When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And from sunny Northern California, I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. Is it typically sunny in Northern California? For some reason, I always picture that climate as like Seattle light. It, it depends on where you are. Um, you know, in up north of here, I, I'm in San in Santa Clara, which is in the South Bay at the the bottom end of uh, San Francisco Bay. Um, and uh, San Francisco often gets a lot of fog. Mm. Uh, they don't get a lot of rain, but it does get foggy and it gets cold there. So strangely enough, you know, middle of the summer is actually usually one of the coldest times of year in San Francisco because of all the fog that they get. And it actually gets warmer in the fall. Yeah, well, that's the the crack out here uh, is one of the coldest winters I ever spent was the summer in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, that's, real, that's about right. <laughs> well, I mean, the, you know, the fog, it, it's all that that moisture in the air it just cools you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I've I've been in San Francisco in July, you know, when it was like 50 degrees. It's weird, you know, and then you just drive 10 miles south and, you know, down the peninsula and it's completely different. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that sums it up. San Francisco is weird. So what are you doing in San Francisco? So I'm here. Um, I've been having some meetings over the last couple of days with a bunch of companies that uh, we're not really going to talk too much about uh, most of them. I will mention uh, Waymo. Um, and then um, I'm speaking tomorrow at the uh, Connected and Autonomous Vehicles Conference that runs alongside uh, IoT World here in Santa Clara. And uh, I'll be chairing, uh, chairing tomorrow's session. And after I do my presentation, I'll be introducing all the other speakers. That sounds like a good time. Yeah, I was also up in uh, came up came out on Sunday, and I was up in Petaluma on on uh, Sunday uh, on Twit, and I'll, we'll put the link to uh, the, the Twit show uh, in the show notes. Uh, it was it was a fun discussion, and we did uh, shot a the segment for new screensavers with uh, with Leo Laporte with the uh, Cadillac CT6 uh, with Super Cruise and. We'll get back. We'll get into that one a little bit later. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I remember last week you talked about um, taking him for a ride in that. And so uh, now that that has happened, uh, you can fill us in on how that went. Um, So, all right. So while you're out there, you're driving stuff, I'm assuming, or are you just being driven by like autonomous cars all the time? No, I'm I'm actually, well, sort sort, of semi-automated. Bunch of Johnny cabs. No, I've been been driving the, the Cadillac all week. Um, okay, but uh, before before I came out here, uh, between the last time I recorded and and the time I left for San Francisco, uh, I was driving the BMW X3 X Drive 30i. Uh, I think that's the full number. Did you get all the numbers and letters in there? 
I believe I believe I did get them all. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, that's the that's the 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 base all wheel drive X3 uh, with the two liter turbo, uh, which is a lovely little engine, um, and all wheel drive. I think you can get uh, a two wheel drive X3 as well, but you know why bother if you're going to get an SUV? You might as well go all the way, um, or at least a pseudo SUV. Uh, so the, yeah, the X3 is you know the uh, not the smallest of the uh, the BMW. Uh, sorry, not SUV. It's an SAV, a sport activity vehicle. I uh, didn't used to be an SAC, or is that the X6? That's the sack. That's that's the X6 and the <laughs> X4. The, the fastback uh, SAVs are the sport activity coupes. Yeah, that's um, right, coupe. And, and I guess now the X2 coupe. also falls into that category, sort of. Uh, but uh, no, this is you know more more conventionally shaped two box. Um, compact uh, crossover SUV thing, um, and uh, it's uh, you know it it's it's fine you know I mean it's nothing it's nothing exciting. Uh, they do have a, a plug-in hybrid version of it coming, uh, and it, actually at the Beijing Auto Show they showed a full battery electric version which is coming out next year. But this is you know your basic four-cylinder turbo, uh, like two hundred and fifty odd horsepower. Uh, you know, so it's got plenty of performance. It's it's got all the usual, you know, con- contemporary BMW stuff. Uh, it's got the latest version of iDrive, which uh, you know has the the controller with the the touchpad on the top, so you can enter letters and numbers that way for for destinations, or you can just twist the dial. Uh, it's got a touchscreen. It doesn't have the um, gesture control that's in the five and the seven series, uh, but that's you know fine by me. Um, and this one also lacked, it had, uh, forward or it had lane keeping or lane departure, uh, warning, but not any kind of lane keeping assist and no adaptive cruise control. It just had conventional cruise control. Uh, so, you know, so a little bit, you know, had to get used to, you know, having to actually pay more attention again. Oh, I've got to drive. Oh, so close to that car in front of me. Such a chore. I have to press the brake pedal myself. Oh, what is this? Cars. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, is is that just the way it was optioned though? Like, or or can you, okay. I I was like, you can, you can, you can get the full, you know, the, 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 um, you know, the full, uh, up-level driver assist system with adaptive cruise control and lane keeping and everything. It's just this particular model uh, was not equipped with all of that stuff. So I find nothing really to complain about with the X3. Like, no, I, no. I mean, it's it's you know it's it's a nice size. You know, it's not it's not a, you know as big as the X5. You know, in terms of footprint, it so it makes it easier to park, easier to maneuver. It drives fine. Um, you know, especially if you put it in sport mode. You know, it tightens up the steering a little bit. Um, the four-cylinder engine's got plenty of plenty of grunt for a vehicle of this size. You know, it's got a, a decent-sized cargo area. Back seat's usable for adults. So, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, there's nothing. You know, it's you know, it's not it's not a, a high-performance SUV, but it's not meant to be. It's you know, it's just a it's a if you're looking for you know a more premium compact utility, you know, it's a decent choice. Yeah, I, you know, and it, it has all that BMW charm. So uh, it looks like a BMW. It smells like a BMW and uh, all those those things that make BMWs what they are. They're, yeah. they're right there. I mean, it, you know, it, it lacks, you know, amenities like Android Auto, you know, and Apple CarPlay. But 
you know, I the latest the latest generation of iDrive is not terrible. Um, you know, it's it's actually pretty decent. You know, it's a decent interface. It, it's fairly responsive. Um, you know, and I like I like having the the buttons right there by the controller. Uh, you know, so you know, one tap, you know, takes me directly to the map. Another tap takes me to the media screen. Another tap, you know, uh, goes to uh, settings. You know, so it's you know the the layout that over the years that BMW has evolved the iDrive into actually works. I, I think works really well, um, and it's it's one of my preferred ones. You know, I'm not sure why anyone would want to bother using the uh, the touchscreen, uh, but they they put a touchscreen in there anyway, you know, for those that prefer to, to swipe around and, you know, get fingerprints all over the screen instead of just, um, instead of just, you know, using the knob. That bugs me because, you know, all through my years as a, a video editor, I've always been like, don't touch the monitor. I'll break <laughs> your finger if you touch the monitor. And then we've got touch screens that just, the whole point is to get your greasy fingerprints all over. It's, it's, it's weird. I do find that when I'm in cars like BMWs and Audis and stuff, um, when I, and, and actually Nissan's and Infinities too, when I can't find the other way to get what I want, I just start poking at the screen. And now that oh. it accepts that input, it, it's okay. It's like, it's like in case of emergency touch glass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 you know, since it's a nice, you know, glossy uh, finish on the glass, you know, the, the fingerprints really show up real, you know, yeah. really brightly. So, and it's, is it glass or is it plastic? I'm assuming it's plastic. So if you don't clean it with the right kind of thing, you wind up putting permanent light scratches in it. It's just awesome. It's the best. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, um, I think, it, I think it actually is glass. I really, I would, I would assume that in an automotive interior, it's probably some some kind of polymer, like a plastic. Um, not necessarily, not for the not for the capacitive screens. I think they, uh, I think you know, a lot of them are starting to use like Gorilla Glass. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's pretty tough, um, and uh, you know, it it holds up well and and doesn't, you know, in 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 most cases, um, you know, depending on the display technology underneath. You know, it shows, you know, it it, show, it doesn't give you a lot of weird distortions or anything like that. Well, I would assume that somebody who listens knows and they will tell us and that, I, absolutely they should do that. And then we, then we will also know and it will yep. become a favorite point of conversation. Uh, all right. I mean, did you what about you? I was going to say, uh, if we've got nothing more to say about the X3 other than it, yeah, it's a nice crossover. Yeah. Um, That's good. I've Fly. got. <laughs> it's expensive but you get a good lease deal uh yeah. i've got a super the, the, oh, the, the, the lease deals aren't as good as they used to be well on uh, the x3 they're probably not because that's a that's a profit center so they know you'll pay it well uh, also i mean in general uh you know one of the things uh, sorry to interrupt you there but no it's uh, all right from the from the last um cox automotive update i was at uh you know, they, they were giving some data, you know, and Cox has all kinds of data because, you know, they're, they're involved in all levels of the, the retail system. You know, for, they do a lot of, they provide a lot of um, backend services for new car dealers. They, they own Mannheim auctions. Uh, you know, they, they do all kinds of stuff that, you know, that you never, you know, customers interact with, but never realize that it's coming from Cox. Um, as, and in addition to that, they also run Kelly Blue Book and Auto Trader. Uh, but uh, you know they they showed some data on leasing, and over the last couple of years, there's actually been a transition away from 
from leasing, the, the number of leased vehicles has it's shifted back more towards buy instead of lease, um, which uh, you know, and because the the residual values have been have been shifting, and so they're the deals that they're you know some of the residuals have dropped, and so they haven't been able to give as attractive deals on the leases. So a lot of people have shifted towards buying instead of leasing. Yeah, well, I mean, you can only push the leases that way to sort of juice the numbers, uh, which I suspect was one of the things that that all of these companies are doing for so long before it starts to bite. So, yep, absolutely. Um, right. so, yeah. So I started saying I have a Subaru. It's uh it's it's an impressive WRX or WRX. I don't know what they they keep changing the nomenclature, um, but it's super entertaining and I like it. It has a lot of personality. I actually uh, think uh, I like it a little better than the GTI, which I just recently had um, partly. Really? Yeah, partly because it's less refined. <laughs> um, it's got a little more character. Yeah, it's it's a little and it, you know, like definitely the GTI is uh, a better all arounder. You know, and it's it's a little easier to live with the the WRX is. I don't know exactly how to say it's it's not that it's more exuberant. It's um, it's just a little rougher around the edges. You know, it's 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 kind of like uh, it it it's more of a uh, a young guy's car. I guess I want to say I don't I don't I don't know how that comes off, um, but it really like you you know what it's about. It's like you hear it. You hear the whine of the machinery a little more. The tur- you you hear the, the turbo spool, and there's actually there's some turbo lag, uh, which is uh, kind of entertaining. You know, it's it's like it. You really feel a strong shove once the turbo gets on boost. It, it happens pretty quick. Um, you know, it, it when you start to use all the grip that it's got, you can feel it sort of wanting to do some four wheel drift action for you and stuff. So it's, it's definitely a little bit easier to get it up on, on edge like that, where the, the GTI is very competent and, uh, very sort of stoic. I suppose it's weird it's, to give these like, kind it's, of, it's, it's had, had all the rough edges buffed out of it so that, yeah. you know, it just, it doesn't do anything that might conceivably get you into trouble you know, or, or, enter, or really entertain you. Yeah. Oh, and the, this- <laughs> the WRX is like, let's go find some trouble guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a car that will get you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it looks like it too. I mean, you yeah. know, you got the, the fender vents, you know, it's a, it's got a little more rowdy look to it than the, than a GTI does. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with having those two choices. I love that they exist because uh-huh. y- you know, the, the, uh, the GTIs is a thing and it's, it's a consistent recommendation of mine and, and probably of a lot of, of us car people, because it's just so competent at what it does. It's so just, it's good. And we can feel comfortable saying that, you know, it's going to nail the bases for the people that we suggested to where the WRX is like, a, it, you got to really, you got to want it a little bit more. You got to be a little bit more invested in that car. And that's, I think why I like it as, as somebody who, who, you know, we, we get so many cars as, as writers, uh, it's easy to get a little sort of burned out or jaded. Um, mm-hmm. and so this, this is just, it's a little bit more rowdy of an experience. 
<coughs> excuse me it's it's louder it's more brash it's more in your face uh it's rougher um n- none of it really extreme it's still pretty easy to live with but it it definitely you know it, it's not your garden variety impreza and it wants to make sure that you know that and it, it's it's effective at it right i mean you know it's it's going to be you know less appealing to the mainstream but for those that that really want something more entertaining you know it you're right it's great to have choices like this because you know you don't want every car to be so polished and refined that they're that they're all effectively the same yeah you, know, you, you want you want especially you know if you're <laughs> going to buy something like this that's a little higher performance you want something that's got more character to it yeah, and it, it's a lot of fun to drive this the the WRX. I mean, it, the the four cylinder with the turbo is, you know, whatever they've done to sort of evolve that through its generations. It's a very good engine. It's very sort of you know well behaved, and I like that you can hear the turbo a bit. It reminds me of some of the older turbo cars from the eighties that were one of the things that really got me into cars. You, when you get it on boost, you you can hear the the whoosh of the air through the intake tract, you know, like stuff like that. That's it's really burnished out of so many cars these days where everybody has a turbo four. None of them want you to hear it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Most, most most of them, you know, it's, it's hard to tell that you've got a turbo. Uh, most modern modern engines like that. Is it a manual transmission? Yes. Because the la- I was I was so worried um, when they dropped it off, just walking up to it with trepidation. I was like, "Oh, please don't let it be the CVT. Please don't let <laughs> it be the CVT." Because I've I've driven this the WRX with the CVT, and it's it's still a WRX, but man, like the CVT together with the the turbo lag, it it's just not a good combo. Like it it's it's really uh, it winds up way too much with that. Where the the manual just seems to be where it's at for this car um and you know i guess i'm not sure if i should describe it as turbo lag or it's just it's it's like off boost on boost behavior uh you know there's there's a definite period in each gear where full boost is noticeably not there uh and then it noticeably comes on and you get a nice shove and i think they do that on purpose yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to tell with um, with modern vehicles because, you know, so much of the stuff is electronically controlled, the throttle and everything else, you know, whether it's actually turbo lag or, you know, something programmed in somewhere else, you know, in terms of the fuel delivery or the, the valve timing or the spark, um, you know, or the throttle that, you know, where it's, there's a... Uh, an intermediary layer between what your foot is asking for and what actually gets delivered. And, and you're right. It's possible that they've programmed it to, to feel that way. You know, they, they want to give you that kind of character because it's, you know, it's, it's something that you would have t- probably associated with WRXs of the past. Um, you know, even though it's not necessarily what, you know, the average modern driver might want, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it, it's something that's different and it gives it a different character from, um, some of the other, you know, current high performance vehicles. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's the thing, like we were talking about the GTI, it's sort of most direct comparison. Um, but even like the, the focus, uh, ST, um, you know, the focus ST is a little bit more like, like the WRX where it, it has that sort of binary 
off boost on boost kind of thing that's a little bit noticeable but the wrx doesn't it just want i mean the, the gti doesn't it just wants to have that flat torque torque delivery um right you know so yeah, and the, S- the st's got a little bit of torque steer <coughs> and you know it's got you know kind of a um kind of a funky ride quality as well you know when you get on certain kinds of roads um similar to similar but not as bad as the the rs um so you know it's interesting to have you know something like this you know that's kind of in between those yeah and you know what we i'm glad that there's three choices unfortunately it won't be much you know longer that we have those three uh we're gonna be down to two but um this is it's a good car this is again just like the x3 there's really nothing to complain about with the wrx you know what you're getting uh and this one has the recaro seats and stuff so it's nicely appointed inside um subaru's infotainment is still not great but it's a lot better than it used to be um Uh, don't they have android auto in there now too yeah maybe my (laughs) my antique phone uh can't do it it's just started pulling this trick too where it just forgets what it's been paired with so oh. sometimes i'll just have to repair it with the thing every time i get in the car i i don't know oh well i, I want to go back to a flip phone i really do it's just it's more <laughs> more trouble than it's worth um but yeah hey, at least the battery will last right exactly um and i'll be less tempted to to look at it at times when i shouldn't like in the middle of meetings when my brain's like must have dopamine uh (laughs) so yes i mean it's like if you like driving and you like entertaining cars the wrx is your huckleberry it will get you in uh the best kind of trouble uh it's also um my 10 year old was so super excited to find out that it was wrx when he came home from school this afternoon because he saw it in the morning and i just i just got it yesterday so uh he was like oh you have an impreza and uh I didn't tell him it was WRX. I'm, I'm impressed that your 10 year old knew it was an Impreza. Oh, he's awesome at that. Yeah. I don't know. And I didn't push him into that in any way. He just kind of got into it on his own. Cause I didn't want to be that kind of dad. That's like the things I like, you must like, um, <laughs> but he's, he's super into cars and, and uh, yeah, he told me he really liked the Impreza. He came from home from school today, told me he really liked that it was a WRX and he loves the way it looks because it's, it's dark. It's like metallic black or a dark gray. Uh, it's kind of monochromatic. And uh, it has, he was like, I, and I really like the way that looks with the red brake calipers. I was like, how did you know that they're calipers? I, <laughs> I was like, well, I play my, my Fast and Furious Most Wanted. I was like, all right, I got it. Um, Excellent. Where he'll upgrade the calipers. Anyway, enough about dorky uh, dad stuff. So, um, yeah, the WRX will hang around, and uh, I don't think it's going to get any less charming for the week. Fantastic. Uh, so let's let's talk about some stuff that's been been going on. Oh, uh, I, I, I it's not on the topic list, but I just wanted to to ask you, when do you think a company like Magnet is going to have to buy Tesla? Do you think that it's, it's, it's going to happen by like, you know, the next couple of years? Because I don't I don't I don't know how much longer they're going to last. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know that it would be Magna. Magna yeah, wants to a, be an automaker a, in the worst way. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. they have wanted to for so long. And, you know, uh, uh, I hadn't really thought about Magna in the Tesla context. Would, and it would be interesting if, if uh, Magna ended up buying Tesla. Um, kind of a little ironic because back, you know, a decade ago when they were trying to launch the Roadster, um, you know, it got 
you know, uh, shocking. I'm sure you'd be shocked to hear this, but the Roadster was uh, delayed by a couple of years. I remember um, <laughs> introduction um, in, in part because they had a lot of trouble with the transmissions, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, at that time, um, you know, Tesla wanted a, a two speed uh, dual clutch transmission uh, for the thing, because for the specs, for, for how they expect the car with a zero to 60 time of four seconds and a top speed of 130 miles an hour, they, their original motor design could not achieve both of those specs. And so they needed a two-speed gearbox to do it. Um, and I'm trying to remember if Magna was the original supplier. No, they were the second supplier. Um, I think. Uh, I remember this debacle because the, the, yeah, the transmissions might, kept breaking. Yeah. It, um, who Who's the. Um, uh, there, there's a, a, a British uh, transmission maker. They, they primarily make transmissions for race cars. Ricardo? Um, no, what, my, I don't think I can't remember who the original supplier was. But, yeah, yeah. The, basically, the, the during the early development, the transmissions were usually lasting about 6000 miles before they would break. Because, you know, with the electric motor, you know, under hard acceleration, the torque. Um, you know, when it shifted gears, the, the, the torque impulse was so high that, you know, it was just snapping gears and usually, but yes, that's it. It was X track. They were the original one. Yay, Google. Um, but yes, I, I remember yeah. that. I, and, and then, so they, so they, during the <clears> development, <throat> they ditched X track. They went to Magna, asked them to build the transmissions for them. <laughs> they basically had the same problem. And, um, so they finally. Uh, made the decision to ditch the two speed. They, they redesigned their motor uh, to give it different characteristics um, and went to a one speed transmission. In fact, what they, what they did was the, um, the first uh, 45 or 50 cars that were delivered. Um, they, they actually delivered them. And when I first, when I had my first drive of the, of the roadster in January of 2008, um, what they they still had the Magna transmission in there and, but they locked out second gear. Right. So you got the, the acceleration, the first gear acceleration performance, but you couldn't hit the top speed. So it was limited to about 110, 100 100, 100 or 110 miles per hour. You, you, um, you want to know what the most hilarious thing is? So I just, I Googled this question and I came up with a post that I wrote for Autoblog 10 years ago. <laughs> That uh, tables turn Tesla Motors sued by transmission supplier Magna, yeah. um, you know, all about this, you know, where they switched to Magna from x and they were still having problems. So they went from from two speed to one speed. And then there's an update on the post that was written by you because Daryl Siri contacted Autoblog and probably contacted you. Uh, uh-huh. D- Daryl's no longer with Tesla. He left a long time ago. Oh but, yeah. Um, he was the guy that took all the heat <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, he was their original, uh, senior VP of marketing communications. Yeah. Um, so apparently in his line was that they expect a two speed unit with no clutches and they wanted to do clutches shifting and manage the torque output of the motor during the shifts. But the rotational inertia of the motor meant they couldn't switch gears fast enough or to, anyway. It, it didn't yeah, work. So they, right. So they ended, they ended up ditching the whole two speed concept. 
uh, redesign the engine, uh, redesign the motor and the electronics to get the, the performance that they wanted and got Borg Warner to design uh, a single speed gearbox for them. And uh, so Borg Warner ended up building the production gearboxes and those first 50 or so cars that were built with the, the two speed magnet gearbox and the original motor design, they ended up taking the, you know, they, they delivered them to customers and said, you know, as soon as we have the new stuff ready, we will retrofit your cars with the, with the new powertrain, which they did. And um, that Borg Warner gearbox, uh, you know, once, once the Roadster was done and out of production, Borg Warner actually took that gearbox design and they adapted it. They, they actually still offer that now to EV manufacturers and they, they supply it to, uh, I think to a couple of companies in China uh, you know, it's basically a single speed reduction gearbox. Um, and I, I was actually at a briefing at Borg Warner, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, that was one of the things that they were talking about was they, they still, they still have that same basic design. Um, and they're, they're still using that. It's a, it's a good design, but it would be funny if Magna ended up buying uh Tesla, but realistically, I, I can't see, anybody buying tesla until they go until the stock price you know either drops you know so far um or they go into bankruptcy and somebody buys it out of bankruptcy because the the problem you're going to have and and it's probably going to be the latter case out of bankruptcy you know in which case you know the the existing stock would be you know essentially canceled out you know in a bankruptcy reorganization um because you know Elon owns like 22% of right. the shares <clears throat> and you know his his voting his voting rights you know he's you know he's essentially got control um so it would be really hard for uh for anyone else to buy Tesla and take over um and you know at this point you know it's just way too expensive uh you know this the the market valuation is just too high um but yeah i i could see um, you know, if they do go, you know, chapter 11, um, you know, I've, I've always leaned towards Volkswagen as being the company to step in really and, and buy the Tesla brand, because imagine, you know, with everything Volkswagen's gone through, you know, imagine if, you know, Tesla went bankrupt and Volkswagen was the company to step in and re save the Tesla brand and preserve the Tesla brand. Imagine the goodwill they would get from that. I, yeah, uh, and I mean, I'm sure that they do well uh, with it. I mean, Volkswagen knows about premium brands and making them profitable and stuff and sharing markets, like all the things that are wrong at Tesla. Volkswagen has that stuff figured out. It's got its own set of stuff that's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> um, I just yeah, I mean, I never really thought of that. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I was just thinking like really what they need is, uh, some experienced manufacturing kind of expertise, uh, that they have since sort of turned down. So for a company like Magna who wanted to get in the automotive game, like they tried to buy Saturn. I think they tried to buy Saab. Um, yep. You know, they really, for whatever reason, they want to be a car maker. Um, you know, Tesla has. I mean, they built, they do build a lot of cars. No, I know. For other brands. Um, Tesla has a lot of the stuff that, that Magnet does. Like, they really, they complement each other really well. But, uh, I mean, I don't know enough about the two companies other than just, like, sort of throwing darts and saying, like, those two might be a good mashup. But other than that, I have no 
no real insight. Um, but I just like I've seen over the last week, uh, even their their greatest fans are starting to to lose some faith. Um, was it uh, Adam Jonas? Is that, yeah, yeah. Adam John, he's he's a stock market analyst. Uh, he's with Morgan Stanley. Yeah. And, you know, jo- Jonas has been Adam Jonas has been one of the, the biggest cheerleaders on Wall Street for Tesla. You know, he at, at, some, at one point, I think he had their target, their stock, their target price somewhere around like, close to five hundred dollars. I was going to say yeah, that's their biggest uh, bull case. I, I think I was yeah. reading sort of what he, I, I had to lower myself to read Zero Hedge. And uh, <laughs> it was it was kind of talking about some of that, like, yeah, our bull case is close to six hundred dollars. Maybe it was over six hundred dollars. Uh, and and. Really, he's saying that it's it's more likely that it's going to be their bear case at this point where it's going to drop down. I think they they dropped it down to like under 300. Yeah, he dropped, they dropped the target last week, the end of last week to uh, two hundred and ninety one dollars. Yeah. Um, and right now it's sitting at around uh, two eighty, I think. Ooh. It Ooh. dropped about three percent yesterday, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, then it's going to fluctuate. I, I just yeah. uh yeah, well, I mean, you know, Tesla has always been a very volatile stock anyway. I mean, if you, you know, if you look at their their one year, you know, or five year <laughs> numbers, you know, I mean, that's, it, you know, it bounces around all over the place. Yeah. But it, there, there's definitely, you know, there, there's definitely starting to be some more concern, um, uh, especially now, you know, there's uh, there's some movement moved by moves by some shareholders to restructure the board of directors um, and to remove Elon as chairman of the board. Oh, well, you know, then they've they, also got all those executive departures that are going on. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's the other thing, too. I mean, last week they had um, Doug Field. Well, Doug Field actually took a leave of absence. Doug Field was their uh, VP of engineering. He took a leave of absence, uh, you know, and it's unclear if he's ever actually going to come back. Uh, you know, their, um, their head, their, their main guy who's their liaison, um, with safety regulators, I can't remember his name right now. He left to go to Waymo. Um, you know, so there, I mean, and there's been a whole slew of executives, uh, their, their chief accounting officer and their treasurer both left in the last couple of months. Um, and I, I just saw something today. I haven't had a chance to look into it in detail, but, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things that um, companies often do in their SEC filings in their their 10K reports or 10Q reports is, you know, they they list who are their uh, you know their most important uh, executives. You know that if they if they lost those people for any reason, you know, would have them would potentially have a material impact on the business. And you know, ever since they went public, the the two executives that have been listed were. Elon Musk and J.B. Straubel, the, their chief technical officer. And in their, I guess, in their most recent 10Q uh, last week or the week before, um, J.B. Straubel was no longer listed in there. He Only only Elon was listed as an essential executive, um, which was kind of interesting. You know, kind of makes you wonder if, if J.B.'s, you know, finally going to take a hike uh, and move on to something else. Uh, but you know it, it you know Elon or um, Tesla's you know they've got issues and there's been a number of other you know news reports that have come out uh, there was an interesting report on Monday uh, in the Wall Street Journal um, apparently you know Tesla engineers had wanted to put a driver monitor system uh, as part of auto, autopilot you know similar to the one that 
um, that Cadillac uses on Super Cruise. They wanted a more active driver monitoring system. And Elon uh, nixed it. He did. He said, we don't need that. We don't. You know, he didn't want it. Um, you know, and it's it's not clear entirely why, uh, whether it was for cost reasons or he just felt you know, it wasn't necessary. But, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of a lot of people associated with the autopilot program that have also left. Um, you know, the last year or you know, most recently was Jim Keller. Who was leading autopilot for the last but uh, about the last nine months, uh, and before that, um, Chris Latner, who had come over from Apple, uh, he was he was leading autopilot. He only lasted six months before he quit. So <laughs> it's uh, it's been a bit of a revolving door there. Yeah, I and I think that's that's just going to continue. The the thing about shareholders getting nervous is only going to get worse too. I mean, they've got some loans that are coming due, and uh-huh. and just uh, yeah. I mean, that, that it's just it's been an interesting week to observe Tesla. That's all. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Well, there's, there's never a dull week in Tesla land. That's true. That's true. it. Is oh, there, there's, there's one one more thing today. The, <clears throat> the most recent crash that happened over the weekend uh, in Utah. A uh, woman driving a Model S that ran into the back of a stationary fire truck at 60 miles an hour. Oh yeah. Uh, the the good news is that you know the the structure of the Model S is pretty robust, and she came away from it even you know hitting a, a stationary fire truck at 60 miles an hour uh, with only a broken ankle. Um, but uh, she did say autopilot was engaged, um, and the system did not recognize that there was a stationary fire truck there, and or at least did not respond to it and didn't slow down yeah that's i mean that's kind of a problem like that's that's a couple of problems um mm-hmm. clearly and so now nitsa is investigating that one um and there's also a, a yet another ntsb investigation i think ntsb has three separate investigations going on now with with tesla that's the national transportation safety board it's the national tesla safety board, safety board yeah <laughs> uh, they uh uh, the, the latest one, you know, there was a crash last week in Florida, uh, which had nothing to do with autopilot, uh, cause it was actually an older model S it was a 2014 model S, which was pre autopilot. Um, that crash, uh, the, the root cause of that crash appears to have been young male driver syndrome. Um, you know, the 18 <laughs> year old high school senior that crashed it at fairly high speed. Um, but the, now, well, I mean, why would they drive a Tesla quickly? I mean, could it be all the bullshit videos about how fast they accelerate? Or, I mean, no, I'm, I can't I'm, imagine. I'm sure it was completely coincidental. Probably had, he's probably never seen one of those videos, never mm. heard what performance it has. Um, but the, the reason why NTSB is investigating is because um, they, after the crash, the, the battery pack caught fire. And the uh, firefighters, you know, putting it out, you know, they put it out and then it would, it would, it reignited itself several times. And I guess it turns out that the, the crash in uh, California in March, uh, which was related to autopilot, you know, where the Apple engineer died uh, while driving home in his Tesla, um, that one, the, um, the battery pack, they had trouble putting out the fire in that battery pack. And um, some the, some Tesla engineers were dispatched from headquarters to go help with extracting some of the cells from the, the pack of this wrecked car. And uh, and then when they hauled it away, apparently the battery pack reignited the next day. And then six days later, it reignited yet again. 
Yeah, they'll do so, that. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and and this is an issue with with lithium ion batteries. Um, you know, it's it's not that they're, you know, any you know, I, I would say they're generally you know not um, more prone to exploding or catching fire in a crash. You know, if you protect them right, you know, they should be, you know, as 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 reasonable, you know, as a gasoline car. I mean, you know, gasoline will explode and ignite as well. Uh, but the difference is that, you know, when you have a gasoline fire, you know, if you smother it, you know, it'll generally go out and stay out. Um, but batteries, you know, because of the, na- you know, the, the nature of, you know, the cells and all the circuitry in there, it's possible that even after you think you've put out a fire, you know, um, that other cells that may have been damaged in the pack can end up getting into a thermal runaway. And it's not immediately obvious you know, it's, it's, it's often not, you know, not visible, you know, you can't look at just by looking at it, you can't tell necessarily which ones are damaged internally and might be prone to reignition. Um, and in fact, there was, um, back in 2011 when, when the, the Chevy Volt was first launched, I don't know if you remember, but there was a fire with one of those, the, it wasn't a crash that in that case, um, you know, the owner of the Volt you know, had apparently done a DIY installation of uh, a charger in his garage and um, the the charger or the wiring to the charger was the source of an electrical fire, which burned down the garage and, and also burned the car. Uh, but that one, you know, in the in the days following that, when they after they had hauled away the car uh, to a wrecking yard, um, that battery pack a, a few days later had reignited. Um, you know, after, after that, uh, incident. So, you know, this has happened before and it's not, it's not strictly a Tesla problem. It's, it's, it's a problem of, you know, we need to figure out how to train, uh, emergency responders, how, you know, how to deal with this. And, and, you know, I think probably develop some better processes for how to handle, uh, battery fires going forward, because if we're going to have more of these vehicles, it's, it's going to be more of a problem. Yeah. Well, and it's, I think it's hard to actually sort of, I, I, I don't want to say, uh, like neutralize the battery, but I guess that's essentially what you're doing. You know, it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's hard to remove that potential, you know, they're charged up with energy and it's yeah. chemistry and, and they don't need, it's not like a gasoline, uh, fire where you, you do need oxygen. So you can smother it and generally put it out. Uh, the, the the batteries will gen the the electrolyte and the batteries will generate its own generate their, its own oxygen. Yeah, the batteries are nothing to mess with. Um, yeah, no, not at all. E- even the uh, the old school lead acids. I mean, you've got to be mm-hmm. careful with them, and and they they have their own set of safety issues. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what you're going to be able to do really to um, make those safer like it's not like you once once a battery has been in a crash you remove all the bus bars and it's fine like there's right. well i think you know one one of the things that they're looking at for this is solid state batteries um you know because you know part of the problem with uh current batteries is the electrolyte you know that is shoved in between the the, the anodes and the cathodes of the battery you know, it's it's an organic compound that's got oxygen in it, and when you get that reaction going, that thermal runaway reaction in the in the cell, um, it actually it, it gives off the oxygen, so that oxygen can actually feed the fire, which you know which makes it um, you know particularly hazardous to deal with, and that's why you know on aircraft, 
Um, you know, they now carry, um, you know, these uh, thermal bags. So if there's a problem with, with a lithium ion battery in a computer or a phone or a tablet or something like that, um, you know, what the, what the crew will do is they will they'll grab this bag, this thermal bag, and, you know, they've, they've got, you know, uh, I guess some Nomex gloves or something like that. And they, you know, they'll, they'll basically grab the device and shove it in this bag. You know, so even if it keeps going, you know, it's still, you know, it, it's not going to spread beyond that. Um, and, you know, then and they put it in that until they can get the plane on the ground. Yeah. But it's hard to do that with a car battery. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, at some, at some point we're going to stop reporting on all the batteries and or all the fires. I mean, um, and crashes of these, these new tech cars we, we we don't really well elon would prefer that we'd stop stop doing that now well but i mean it's fair for us to cover um new and emerging uh technologies i do think that it's it's slightly breathless uh but it it it's fair game and it points up the fact that like a lot of times these are these are drivers behaving badly i mean it, for regular cars nobody but the like the local nightly news is covering the crashes uh, of a, of a normal oh, car. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like this crash in Utah and, you know, the, the March crash in, in California, um, you know, and the January crash where another Tesla ran into the back of a fire truck, you know, in, in each one of these cases, um, you know, you know, you, you don't, you don't want to blame the victim, but in each one of these cases, the victim is at least partly to blame uh, because, they were misusing this technology and you know i you know i'm i'm at this conference this week i was talking to somebody you know and i've talked to other people who own teslas and drive teslas and they use autopilot and you know the, the they have a lot of them have this um uh, ha- have this impression uh, you know they, they've gotten this impression that you know it is this miracle technology and, you know, I can see why, you know, why so many people are doing hands on the wheel. They're not paying attention, you know, and certainly a lot of the language that Tesla and particularly Elon Musk has used, you know, create the impression that it is that autopilot is this engineering marvel that, you know, will save the world. And the fact is, it's just not it. I mean, it, it's a it's a good driver assist system. But as I've said before, I think all of these driver, these, you know, partially automated systems are, you know, if they're if they're really used correctly, they have the potential to have a lot of benefit. But I I think it's too easy to misuse them. And, you know, you, you know, as, as an engineer, you have to take some responsibility. You, you know, you can't you can't put something out, you know, you can't create a product that. Uh, I think it's wrong for to create a product that you know has the potential for very dangerous misuse, and you know just put it out there and say, "Well, sorry, you know, um, you know, it's the you know if you misuse it, it's your problem." You know, I think you need if there if there are reasonable measures that you can take to mitigate the potential for misuse, I think you need to do that. And I think, you know, with these partially automated systems, I think, you know, it's increasingly being proven that humans are bad supervisors for automated systems. 
And if you're going to rely on on us to to watch over this stuff, we're going to have problems. Yeah, I mean, you're traveling at, like so a highway speed. You're traveling like a couple hundred feet of uh, a, a second, hundred feet. Of, I forget. It, it, it's a mile a minute. I know that much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so like your reaction time. Uh, again, like we typically like you're we're taught to follow with a four second gap uh to take into account the fact that you know if anything happens there's reaction time you're gonna have to make sense of what you're seeing and then move your your foot that's for an attentive driver and even that sometimes can lead to a kind of a pucker situation um at at 70 miles an hour you're going 103 feet per second right so uh if you're not paying attention you're gonna you're just gonna run over something (laughs) like you're going to have traveled 500 feet before you even know what's going on. If that, like, it's just, it, you, and you can't like you can't make the thing and be like, yeah, you know, you mean people just didn't, didn't use it. Cause the problem is you're, you're endangering, uh, not just the, the user who chooses to use the thing in the wrong manner, but everybody else. I mean, the cars are running into fire trucks. Like I, I can't imagine that these Teslas are like, I'm going to catch on fire. I have to go find a fire truck to hit. Like, <laughs> yeah, or, you know, if it, you know, if it, uh, well, you never know. Yeah, maybe that's but, a brilliant uh, bit of engineering. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the, the March crash here, here in California, uh, you know, it, it ran into a center, the car ran into a center median and, and exploded. And then that could have very easily impacted several other cars. So, you know, you have to, you have to take that into account. And when there are things that you could have done, and and consciously decided not to do like put in a more active driver monitoring system instead of just relying on a torque sensor and a steering wheel to you know no, you know notice some wiggles you know that might be the that may or may not be the driver actually moving you know holding the steering wheel you know it could be an orange or or something as ridiculous as this autopilot buddy that some jackass is selling um, you know if you could have put that in and didn't i think that's negligence you know, to me, to me, that comes across as negligence. You know, GM has done that. You know, they 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 put that system in there, and they've got they've geofenced the system to make sure that it can only be used on the roads where it's appropriate. Yeah. You know, Tesla hasn't done that. Well, look, if anybody knows about negligence, it's GM. Absolutely. <laughs> like, so, well, they- <laughs> you know, and, and the reason why they put that stuff in Super Cruise is, you know, that came after the whole uh, ignition switch recall. And you know, they, yeah. in the investigation of that, <clears throat> you know, they, they looked at what they were doing in terms of safety and decided, OK, we can't do this anymore. We have to reevaluate the safety case on all our new products. And that's what led them to add those features to Super Cruise. Yeah, no, and I, like I, I don't mean to be too too glib about it. Like they've gotten whacked enough that they've they've learned their lesson. And when you're releasing that kind of technology, they they've done a lot of really smart moves with it. And apparently, you know, in, in terms of, uh, the most viable current systems out there, super cruise is, is probably tops. I don't know. I mean, you're, you've driven it. I, I haven't. So. Yeah. And, and I've been driving it this week. You know, I, um, I picked up the car on Sunday, you know, in San Francisco at the airport and drove up to Petaluma and, you know, drove back down here on, on Monday, you know, from uh, to the South Bay. And, you know, uh, it's you know, it is a really impressive system. You know, when I drove it last October um, from Cleveland to Chicago to Memphis, you know, it was on, you know, it was 
highway driving, you know, but there wasn't a whole lot of traffic that, you know, it was it, in many ways, it was a less challenge, less challenging scenarios than what I've seen here. Here has been a lot more traffic. The, you know, the roads, the roads I've been on have actually been less straight uh, than, you know, the, the interstate between Chicago and Memphis, you know, which is pretty much a straight, straight line South. Um, you know, it's, it's been a little more interesting uh, roads and, you know, the system has handled it beautifully. You know, I mean, there, when there's when it's encountered certain areas like, you know, it encountered a, a construction zone uh, just south of Petaluma for a few miles. And, you know, it had it had already been, you know, program, you know, it was a long term construction zone. So it was on the map that, you know, um, it, it disabled, you know, this was not, you know, not an approved area to use it. You know, so as I was coming up to it, the the seat buzzed and the, the, the light bar, you know, went from green to flashing red and said, you know, take over control now. And so I did that and, you know, it worked fine. Um, you know, coming back South, I came around the, the East Bay side through Oakland and drove across the Bay bridge. And, you know, as I was going across the bridge, you know, the system was engaged and, you know, it, it was in heavy traffic, you know, kind of crawling along and it did great all the way across the bridge. Uh, you know, all, you know, across Treasure Island and into San Francisco, and only when we got into San Francisco on the, the the west side of the bridge, you know, as you get into the urban environment, is where it disengaged. But you know, it it was it made it you know a lot easier to handle that situation. Um, and you know, I think it's I, th I think it is a very good you know very reliable system. But you know, as I've said before, you know, it it changes. You know, it, it eliminates some of the cognitive load of driving on the driver, but it introduces some new loads. And so it it changes it more than reducing it. You know, so I could never I could still never be totally relaxed. You know, as I said, the system within the context of what it's designed to do, it does it very well. But you still have to watch it all the time. And so, you know, it seems to me that we'd be better off to just not even bother doing those systems um, and just wait until we have level four autonomy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, one of the reasons why we have such an issue of uh, fully relaxing when the, the systems are driving is probably because uh, our level of, of awareness of what can happen and how quickly it can happen. I think if ignorance is bliss and you, you know, if you go like my self-driving system is called, you know, self-driving system or something equally misleading or autopilot. Right. Uh, but they're not the only one that does it too. Like, I mean, Mercedes oh, no. had their system that they sort of were, were hawking as, as a fully autonomous rig that it just isn't. And if you're, if you're convincing people that it is, they're not necessarily going to, to, uh, be as skeptical or question as much. You're going to trust it. And, and, you know, ignorance is bliss at that point until the thing just gives up and hits stuff. Right. So. And, and that's, you know, that's appears to be what happened uh, with this crash in, in Utah with the fire truck is, you know, it was, it was all good until it wasn't right. You know, and, and then, you know, you're wedged under the back of a fire truck. Yeah. And that's uh, not, not a good place to be. All right. We've we've beaten up on on all of this <laughs> quite a bit. Um, do we, we want to jump to something else? Uh, uh, let's see. Um, how about uh, diesel Volvos? Uh, yeah. What about them? We never uh, got them. 
Yeah. <clears throat> we never got them here. And uh, when the new S60 comes out uh, this summer, um, Europeans won't be able to get the diesel in that one either. And that's probably just the beginning of the end for the, the diesel at Volvo. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, the D5, if that's what they're using, was a pretty well-regarded engine. Um, no, this this is a new one. This, oh, this is, is a four-cylinder. Yeah, so it, it's it's based on, uh, you know, it, it's part of their new engine family. It's a, so it's it's the drive E engine, basically. Yeah. So it's a four, it's a two liter four cylinder. <clears throat> I'm Volvo. I, I'm assuming that they're looking at at the sort of the future of diesel altogether and saying, oh, absolutely. you know what, this is not something we should mess with. Let's just make hybrids and electric versions of our cars and yeah, not and, worry about and that's That's what they've already said they're going to do is, you know, that you know from 2019 you know everything's going to have a standard uh 48 volt mild hybrid with plug-in hybrids is optional and as well as battery electrics um you know i think for now they're probably keeping the the diesel availability in the 90 series and in in the xc60 um just because they're you know a little bigger and heavier and you know for a lot of the applications for those vehicles you know the, the diesel still makes makes more sense but I can see, you know, in the next three or four years, you know, that they'll probably discontinue those as well. It's I mean, it's hard to make a case for for diesel. I mean, I don't know that diesel's going to really spring back here in the U.S. There are people who still are seeking them, um, but that's a, a lower number. I do. I think the the Volkswagen thing has has done like Oldsmobile style damage. Yeah. To, to diesel and and you know there are like there are diesels you can buy you can you can go buy like a cruise diesel uh or, or you know there's there's a few other options but it it's i don't think it has the same kind of shine now as all the the uh quickly electrifying um offerings and you know it's a it's a different thing like a, a diesel is great because it'll go 700 miles on a tank of fuel and has plenty of torque and is is good to drive uh, uh a plug-in hybrid will go you know 70 miles on, on a yeah. full charge but it has plenty of torque uh, and it's good of, to drive don't go that far no i'm i mean i'm i was just i was i was just going for effect yeah. you know but you're right like uh, the 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 plug-in hybrid caravan um or not caravan i'm sorry town in uh, pacifica. pacifica jesus christ dan uh, <laughs> yeah uh you know that did 26 miles um on a full charge and i thought that was it, it was great and it performed well you know i can't imagine that it would be uh more palatable to a buyer willing to spend that kind of money for that kind of thing if it were a diesel uh i think part of part of the allure is that it's electric and i think that that has a a a big uh role to play um in in sales i don't know what's your take on that i think you know where there's where there's still um going to be a demand for diesel for for some time is going to be in the big trucks and utilities uh, you know, so Ford is selling the, the F-150 diesel now. Um, GM's got an all-new inline six-cylinder diesel coming in the Silverado and Sierra next year. Um, and probably, I, I would imagine, they're probably also going to put it in the new uh, 
the new full-size utilities. So in the suburban and Tahoe and, um, and Yukon, um, and, you know, uh, even Chrysler, you know, said, you know, they've got a, an updated version of their, uh, V6 diesel coming in the, uh, the Ram next year. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there's applications in those bigger, heavier vehicles where, um, you know, you need the, the grunt, um, and you also want fuel economy, you know, when it's, when it's actually working hard that where, you know, the diesel is really the, the best and only viable option for that. Um, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's what the Ford guys said when I, you know, when we did the the drive with the F-150 diesel a couple of weeks ago is, you know, it's those, those, those users, those customers that are towing a trailer all the time. They're the ones that are going to be the, the, the target customer for the diesel, you know, for the customers that only tow, you know, a couple times a year, um, you know, the, the loss in fuel economy from an eco boost is, you know, not that big a deal. Um, you know, and right now, you know, electric and, and plug-in hybrids for those kind of applications still aren't really uh, a viable option. You know, a few years from now, that may change. And it's going to be, it's going to be real interesting to see, you know, when Ford launches the, uh, the F-150 hybrid in, in a couple of years in 2020, how that one plays out, you know, what kind of performance levels, you know, what, or what kind of specs they get out of that in terms of fuel economy and towing and payload capability. You know, they, they have touted the fact that, you know, one of the things they're going to push on that with the marketing with that is going to be the power takeoff capability. You know, so for contractors, you know, if they need electrical power for their tools and things like that, the ability to do that with the hybrid without having to haul along, uh, along an extra generator, you know, is they, they see that as something that's going to be really appealing to those customers. Look, if, if Ford knows anything, it's those customers. I mean, that's, Oh yeah. That's a market and, that and they, the same thing goes for GM and yeah. FCA as well. Yeah, they, absolutely. They know the truck customers. Yeah. And, and I, I think that diesel makes great sense there. People are willing to pay the premium. It has a lot of actual upsides, you know, that, just aren't they, those upsides don't materialize in the car market. So diesel cars, I think are, are pretty much dead. So I, I can't fault Volvo for, for saying like, yeah, we're, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. I mean, you know, even the, the cruise diesel, you know, I just pulled up the, the sales numbers last year, they sold 1,675 of them. That and, I mean, they, yeah, they're that not was, making money on those. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, and that, that wasn't a full, you know, I think that was only about nine months of sales after they, they launched it, but still, you know, less than 2000 of them, you know, in their, in their best years, you know, a couple of years back, the first generation cruise diesel, I think sold, um, I think they sold 3000 of them a year. So, you know, I, I can't imagine that they're going to sell a whole lot more of these, um, you know, in the in the SUVs, you know, maybe maybe they'll sell some more there. Um, you know, like in the Equinox and the Terrain, but even that's going to be a tough sell. Yeah. Um. Uh, and you know, again, I, I think that when you're trying to sell cars and and crossovers, the, the ability to put a hybrid badge on it probably carries more weight than yep. diesel at this point regardless of which is actually greener or whatever. Like this is the irrationality of customers that we're dealing with. <laughs> uh, people don't make the best decisions because they don't because they're people. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, all right. Um, you want to answer some Twitter questions? We did have a we did have a Twitter question that uh, I thought was really interesting. Um, we, I saw one from uh, Sam Mediti. Uh, he said, "I just realized Chrysler has only two models, the 300 and Pacifica. Uh, will they survive as a standalone brand, or roll these models into a different division?" And there's a second question: Why do they still make the Dodge Journey? Well, on the the second part, the journey, uh, I just pulled up the uh, the sales numbers on that one, and uh, they sold ninety thousand of those last year. That is a um, lot of Dodge Journeys. Yeah, that's that's like yeah, a lot more than I would have expected. Yeah, but you, you, so it, I don't know if you probably don't have the same feeling about this, but I'm rather fond of the journey because I think it's 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 a good vehicle for what it is it's cheap it has three rows it's mm-hmm. well designed you know it's it's certainly it's not you know not the most solid build quality or anything but it's it's fine and, and it, it fits and, you the know needs. When, when they refreshed it a few years back and, and redid the interior you know it, it's it's actually got a pretty decent interior now it does and it has you, like, know, you when, can get it with when, the they, when they moved the radio from the bottom of the center stack to the top of the center stack it made all the difference in the world. <laughs> well, the materials no, got curious. a lot better. Did, did you ever, did you ever drive one of those early journeys? Uh, I, you know, I probably did. Um, and flushed it from your brain. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I must have, but you know, it, that's a, that's a Daimler Chrysler holdover. Uh, oh yeah, and I mean, that's the journey's been around since 2008, so it's it's almost 10 years old. Yeah, and it, it was. Like it's based on the caliber, which was what two thousand five. Uh, actually, it was based on the um, or the the Avenger and Sebring, right? Which are based on the yeah, aren't which, they? Yeah, I, th- I think so. They're yeah. all they're all interrelated. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a pretty old platform. Um, it, but it drives not, okay. It, it it drives a lot better than it used to. Yeah, it's like it. You can get it with the Pentastar, which I'm impressed by. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's. It's not a uh, like super glamorous vehicle, but it, it fills a need and people buy it's, it because it's, it's affordable it's functional and, and reasonably affordable. Yeah. Anybody who's buying a journey, like you just expect the children to completely destroy it. And that's what happens. And, you know, hopefully it's paid off before they get done. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, at, at this point, you know, for FCA, you know, they've been building it so long. The tooling's paid for, you know, as long as they can, you know, as long as they can you know, push enough of them out the door and, and sell them, you know, it's probably worth it for them. You know, at, at, at some point, you know, I'm sure there's, there's a threshold at which, you know, they're no longer making money on it. Um, you know, and when the sales drop to that point, you know, they'll, they'll just pull the plug. Um, you know, at, there was like when they did their last five year plan, uh, like four and a half years ago, they did, um, you know, when they showed their, their product plan, and they had a new Dodge crossover uh, listed on there for around this time. And, you know, I think it, the general expectation was that it was going to share the same platform with the Pacifica. Um, and, you know, we still haven't seen that. You know, it's I would I would imagine that, you know, they probably, you know, given the, the popularity of utilities, it would make sense that they would do, you know, an, uh, a front wheel drive based, um, you know, midsize crossover, you know, and, and if they use the Pacifica platform, you know, that would, you know, that would be great. You know, I think, I think it would be a good vehicle. Um, 
so, you know, I, I would imagine the journey is probably not going to last much more than another year or two, but, uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's what, that's, that's what we'll get. I think, you know, is probably, and, you know, if they do that, you know, they could also easily drop the plug in hybrid powertrain in there and, you know, have a, have a really high efficiency, you know, SUV, uh, you know, crossover option, you know, family size crossover option, uh, to, uh, you know, to, to offer customers, um, you know, that don't, that, you know, want something like the Pacifica, but don't want a minivan. Yeah. Like the original Pacifica. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I and mean, that's just a, like, so the, a, my stumbling over the name earlier and then b the fact that they've relaunched the Pacifica name when they had both town and country and caravan, both with equity it just goes back to last week's sort of conversation or, or rant about how domestic automakers are really terrible about their, their name continuity for no reason. They just like, they re they introduce new names and just light fire to their brand recognition every now and then. I know. And, and, you know, it, creating, creating brand equity is really hard, really expensive to do. Yeah. And they just keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Idiots. <sighs> I'm stand to all I'll, of the people never, who work in the business. I I'll, just I'll insulted. Never, I'll never understand those marketing people who who decide on the names. You know, it's just yeah, it's a complete mystery to me. Uh, yeah, I will. I will tell you, there is a lot of bad decisions and groupthink that goes on in marketing and advertising. Just, I mean, I'm sure that's shocking to you. Um, but yeah, so not, not, not at all. I've, I've, <laughs> I, sadly, I've spent enough time around them. I, I. I, it doesn't surprise me, but it doesn't mean I understand it. No, I, I get it. I get it. You, you walk out of the building at the end of the day, you're like, how does that happen? I know. Uh, as for, you know, Chrysler, you know, only having two models. Um, you know, Ram's only got two models. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know that it matters. Yeah. You know, they've, they've got the they've got the Ram and the Ram, the pickup and the uh, the ProMaster. I mean, I guess oh, well, I guess they got the ProMaster City, too, but they don't sell many of those. It gets expensive to run a brand that only has a couple models, though. But I mean, maybe not overall. And, you know, it's Chrysler's really this interesting stratified kind of uh, collection. And then I, I, I say Chrysler, meaning that just they were like Fiat the, Chrysler. Well, but just if you look at Dodge and Chrysler together, nothing that they make like it, it's not like Ford and Lincoln. In that respect, it, like there really is between Dodge, Chrysler and Ram, like each of those brands ha has its own stuff that doesn't really interfere with the other. And, and Jeep. <laughs> yeah. And, and Jeep. Um, I think I think Jeep is the key to the whole thing. Like as yeah. long as Jeep keeps making money, it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Chrysler needs some stuff. OK, fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd. I'd I've been sort of puzzling over that. Like they, they took everything away from all the other brands, but I, I don't, I guess it doesn't matter as long as they're profitable ish. Yeah. Well, they're, they're profitable. You know, uh, how, you know, how much longer they, you know, the, you know, the challenger and the, the charger and the 300, you know, it's just never ceases to amaze me. You know, the, the challenger is actually, uh, you know, it's last, couple of years you know last three years were its best years yet and i think this year it's doing even better um you know it, it it's 
you know, they, they sold, you know, 64,000, 64,500 <laughs> each of the last two years. That's crazy. And I think it's on pace for even more than that this year. So, you know, who, who knows, you know, that again, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, most of the tooling's paid for a um, long time ago. You know, there's not, there's not really any huge investment in there. Um, you know, some, you know, every few years do a, a refreshed, you know, grill face. I mean, there's been some, uh, some teaser photos put out, uh, by FCA in the last couple of weeks. You know, I guess the, the Hellcat, uh, Challenger is getting a new hood, you know, a dual, dual scoop hood and things like that, you know, and they're, they're tweaking the front of the charger as well. And I'm sure they'll do something with the, the 300, you know, people keep buying them. Doesn't cost them much to build. So might as well. I mean, they're going to, they're going to build those cars till the end of time. Like <laughs> those, and it's fine. Like I, the weird thing to me is that my 10 year old loves the challenger. He wants a demon. And I'm just like, I don't know if it's the name or, or whatever. Like every challenger he sees, he just, he loves the candy colors and the, just the styling. And I'm like that. That's interesting that you're, you're a muscle car fan, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I guess this, whatever they're doing works for 65,000 people. So, um, yeah. All right. What other questions do we have? Uh, let's see. Let's look at the Twitter here. Um, Oh, the Twitter. Oh, uh, McDonald asked about, uh, looking for a used car. I can afford, uh, can fit in and has CarPlay. Uh, his options that he's looking at, uh, 2016 to 18 Chevy Cruise, uh, 17, 18, uh, Ford Escape SE, 2018 Kia Optima LX, or put a new head unit in a car without CarPlay. Um, I would probably, well, it depends on what the car is that he's got right now. Um, you know, I would probably not be inclined to, you know, to do the head unit replacement because all of the most, most of the ones that are out there that, you know, have CarPlay or Android auto, um, that I've looked at, are they're pretty expensive, uh, for, for audio head units. And most of them don't really have very good displays on them. Uh, especially the pioneers pioneers have really terrible displays actually. Um, some of the others are a little better, but not a whole lot. Um, so, you know, um, you know, if you can find a used Optima, I mean, I'm, I'm always, you know, inclined towards the cars. Um, so I would say I, I would be inclined to either the Cruise or the Optima of those choices. Um, you know, really, you know, I think any any um, Hyundai or Kia model, any recent Hyundai or Kia model would actually probably be a really good option. They all have uh, Android Auto and CarPlay support. Um, same thing goes for the, the GMs. Um, you know, so, you know, cruise, maybe a Malibu. I mean, if you're thinking about an Optima, you know, midsize sedan, Malibu is also a really good option. Um, and you can probably get a, get a pretty screaming deal on one of those. Um, uh, is the issue that he's tall and doesn't fit in stuff or. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming so. Cause he, you know, he said, you know, used car he can afford and can fit in. So presumably he's, he's fairly tall. Um, and if that's the case. Um, the Optima Sonata or the Malibu would actually probably be the better choices for them than, than the cruise. Yeah. Those you know, are like, all pretty roomy. I like the cruise, but you know, the cruise is a little smaller. Um, and any of those midsize sedans would actually probably be a really good fit. You know, uh, I would also, uh, you know, if you're looking for something, you know, like a, uh, like an escape size vehicle, 
I would also take a look at the uh, uh, the uh, Hyundai Tucson or the Kia Sportage, especially the Sportage. I really like the Sportage. I like the looks of it. It drives really well. What's the budget? He doesn't say. Just you know, use something used he can afford. Well, uh, I mean, so I mean, given that you know the the options that he's put out there are no more than a couple of years old. You know, it's it's not. You know, it's we're not talking, you know, like five or ten thousand dollars. I mean, these are all going to be, you know, probably fifteen thousand dollars and up, you know, if they're if they're decently equipped um, and, you know, not not too ridiculous mileage. Um, so, you know, I, I think any any of those would be a good option. Yeah. I mean, over the last couple of years, too, I mean, the oh. the, uh, the 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 what we were talking about, the Chrysler LX cars, the the Charger. And the 300 mm-hmm. have had um, pretty uh, capable Uconnect systems that should should have those features that he's looking for, and uh, their resale value drops like a stone. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, like the um, um, the Toyotas and the Nissans don't have CarPlay support. You might look at a Honda, uh, like look at a, a CRV um, or a Civic. Um, you know, both of those, the Civic is surprisingly roomy. Um, you know, so I would, I would take a look at one of those or a CRV, um, or, or even, even the uh, previous generation Accord, uh, you'd probably get a pretty good deal on one of those or, or for that matter. I mean, if, if you're thinking about a 2018, um, Optima, you know, even the new Accord is also a good option. And the new Accord, you can get the manual. Yeah. You can get a manual two liter. That's, I mean, and then you'll have to concentrate on driving. So it won't matter whether it has Android Auto or not. Right. Uh, although people so. still manage to, to text on whatever. You see people on motorcycles doing it. <clears throat> yeah, I know. So, uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a few choices there. You know, I think, you know, any of those are, are viable options. You know, I, if it, if it wasn't for the CarPlay requirement, you know, I, you know, I'm always uh, willing to recommend, uh, you know, various Mazda models, you know, so a Mazda 6 or a Mazda uh, a CX-5, you know, are also excellent choices, um, especially the, the CX-5. Um, and, and the, you know, the Mazda 6, you know, you can get, uh, if you get a used one, you, you can get those with a manual transmission as well. So the 6 and the Accord are the, the last midsize sedans with, uh, uh, with manual transmissions. Yeah. Mazda, uh, but, you can't, but you can't get CarPlay in there. <clears throat> well, and Mazda made me really sad uh, with the, the 2018 model year. Um, you know, they introduced the six grand touring, which, which has the, um, the, the, the turbo engine. Uh, but they took away the manual for everything, but the base model. So oh, you, that's a bummer. you used to be able to get the six touring, which was nicely equipped um and had a manual can't get that anymore the only one you can get is the six sport with the manual and i i like nicely equipped cars so it broke my heart a little bit yeah but you can't get carplay anyway so i mean if that if that's if that's a make or break thing for you then um then then you'll have to look elsewhere yeah, I you know and i i do agree with your uh take on on putting a head unit in in uh an existing car like that's that's fraught with peril um you've kind of got to try a lot of the head units uh the ones that i've tried yeah the touchscreens haven't been 
great. Like even the even the touchscreens that are designed into cars aren't that great. So aftermarket ones are also an issue. Yeah, most of most of the aftermarket ones I've seen are you know they're pretty bad. They're, they're they tend to be resistive touchscreens, um, and they have a lot of issues with glare. You know when the sun is shining through the the window. Um, and you know, they just, they don't look very good and they're, they don't operate very well. All right. All right. Next question. So, uh, I think that's all we've got. All right. Good. <laughs> so I think, I think that's enough for this week. I was going to say you're, you're traveling. It's, uh, let's see, it's roughly eight 30 where you are. Uh, eight 40. Yep. Eight 40. All right. Um, yeah, good. We'll let you have, have a late dinner. <laughs> okay. I already had a bite to eat earlier, so. See, well, th- well, there you go. Um, well, anyway, uh, thank you for listening to uh, Wheelbrings. Leave us reviews. You can drop us a line. Uh, we'll be back uh, soon, and you can hear more about what Sam's been doing out in La La and Land. Ne- next week, uh, middle of next week, I'll be heading out to Wisconsin for the uh, the Mama Spring Rally, which is the Midwest Automotive Media Association, and uh, actually going to be uh, driving out there with Tony Swan. Uh, so maybe uh, we'll record some stuff with Tony while we're uh, on that extended drive in uh, VW Atlas. Yeah, I mean, you can just turn on all the ADAS stuff and uh, the, the <laughs> sort of whatever Volkswagen self-driving program is called and then just play with your recorder. There we go. Awesome. All right. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.